What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I am Jordan, back from the dead, recovered from COVID mostly. And with me uh, is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It's going. Uh, I'm really glad you're back. Um, it's not the same without you. Yeah, definitely uh, not enough bow ties going around. Got my, not enough bow ties. my uh, peacock bow tie going on. And though I am still kind of tired, I had COVID and you know it takes a while to recover from that. So uh, Jared had an excellent idea. Since AI is all the rage now, we're just going to let AI run the episode and we'll just you know look pretty, basically. So what we did, or what Jared did, is he asked ChatGPT to give us some questions that a theist might ask an atheist. So we everyone loves a list of 10 questions. We got 10 questions from ChatGPT. I asked ChatGPT for 10 questions and it gave me nine. So we're going to go, go with Jared's list. And so we're going to go through this list that the AI gave us and we're going to give our answers and then... Then we got the AI to answer the questions back. So we'll see if, you know, maybe our jobs are at risk. Not that we get paid for this, but like (laughs) pretty soon, Atheist YouTube is going to be taken over by AI or whatever. Yeah. And importantly, um, we haven't read the answers that the chat GPT gave back to us. As soon as they give the answers, I copy pasted it into a document. And so we're going to be reading them first. So we get to see our reactions to what we think the AI thinks about us being atheist. So I think I think the AI is gonna do a pretty good job because yeah. the way that the the program works is it basically just soaks up all of the responses to these kind of questions, you know, and kind of yeah. you know, basically spits them back out. So I expect it'll be pretty decent answers. But yeah. Well, right. I'm excited. So let's 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 get stuck in, as they say. Yeah. They being whatever. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> So the prompt was uh, 10 questions for atheists, and the way ChatGPT answered it was to give 10 questions that a theist might ask an atheist in a friendly and respectful manner. So no Frank Turek questions here. Question one, what do you believe happens after we die? Well, uh, me personally, what I believe happens after we die is the same thing that happened before I died. Everything's going to keep happening. But for me... Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> right. It's basically imagine what it's like if you're in the States. Imagine what it's like in Europe right now, right? With you not there. It's going to be like that, but everywhere. <laughs> but everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just like it was before I was born. I'll have no concept or anything. I won't know. Right. So. Uh, now, this is not a state of affairs that I'm happy about. I know a lot of atheists are very kind of blase about it. Like, I won't ever experience death because I'll be gone, right? I am terrified of dying. I'm not terrified of being dead, right? Because if I'm dead, I won't know right. it. That's what death, that's how death works, right? So at any point when me and death or will at never least we, coexist. We hope so, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, me and death will never coexist. But like, I really, really, really like living and I don't want to stop. So. <laughs> Yeah. The, the process is what more gets you. But yeah, I think this is a very simple question. Uh, I think what it's trying to get at, though, is like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if there was something more like. Um, sure. Would, It'd be great. It'd be nice. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I would love for, for <laughs> like it, it would be amazing for me to die and then like pop back up somewhere else. Like that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But right. so what's the I have to say. So question. Oh, so well, yeah, let's get the answers now. So. The answer to this question is, and this is funny, um, I just noticed this, it gave the answer as if AI was an atheist. So, quote, 
As an atheist, I believe that after we die, our bodies decompose and return to the earth, and our consciousness ceases to exist. While this may seem bleak, it also underscores the importance of making the most of our lives while we have them and cherishing the time we have with our loved ones. Ah, oh, that's nice, ChatGPT. Oh, yeah, yeah that good is job. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Okay. <laughs> so good. I can go with that. Upbeat. So like, like <laughs> so far on the scale of like AI going to destroy the universe, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty far away from that. I feel like this, this AI is kind of emotionally stable, which is yeah, good. That's good. Okay. I still think it's hilarious that he answered it as an atheist. So ChatGPT is an atheist. So well, he's an atheist now. I'm sure if you asked him, you know, to answer it as a theist, he'd be happy to do that too. I don't know why yeah. I'm saying he. It's not. It's neither. Whatever. Uh, it's it's, bi- it's binary. Right. That binary was a joke. with exceptions. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. Question two: What is the meaning or purpose of life without a belief in a higher power? Probably, like, for most people, it's about the same either way. Like I know that for for many religious people, their religion is central to their life, and it you know gives imbues them with meaning and stuff like that. I suspect for just statistically, most people who subscribe to a religion, it's something they worry about like one day a week, and then they just you know what really gives their life meaning is football on Sunday or their kids <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. I I think so. Um, so. For me, um, purpose for life without belief in a higher power is specifically, you know, what gives me joy? What do I enjoy doing? What do I get fulfillment out of? So for me, that's hanging out with my family, enjoying time alone, creating things, making stuff, like working with my hands, being in nature. So that's that's how I get purpose and meaning out of life. So, Yeah, my purpose is basically to... One, derive as much joy and happiness out of life as I can and to ensure that my children have a better life than I did. I will say, having come out of a fundamentalist sect of Christianity, I am much more fulfilled in my life now than I ever was with religion. That your mileage may vary. That may not be the same for everybody. But believing that there was a higher power uh, didn't didn't go a long way towards giving my life purpose. I kind yeah. of, I felt the same way about my family and those sort of things when I was a believer, but now I'm able to pursue those things. Uh, I don't want to say more honestly, but like more um, straightforwardly, maybe like, like the, sure. it's, it's more explicitly my goal. I feel comfortable in saying that's my goal. I, I think this is a very individualized question and you would get an answer completely different from most people. Um, when I did have belief in a higher power, my purpose and meaning was much different than what it is now because I was on the path to, I thought I was called to ministry. So my purpose in life was to serve God and was to, you know, be in the ministry. So very different now. Um, But I don't feel like, I I think I've gained something since then. Like I've actually learned that, oh, this, there's more to this, you know, so. You mean you didn't immediately collapse into a puddle of nihilism the instant you stopped leaving? No, I don't. don't. (laughs) There was like a two week period. Okay, it was like two weeks, and then I got it on my system. But (laughs) (laughs) all right. right, So, so how does the AI answer this? Okay, so um, according to uh, ChatGPT, the meaning and purpose of life can be whatever we choose to make it, whether that's pursuing our passions, helping others, creating art, or exploring the world around us. That's pretty similar to what I said. Uh, we don't need a higher power to give us a purpose. We can create our own. 
That's a great point, ChatGPT. I'm starting to get a little more nervous about my <laughs> status and necessity on this show because ChatGPT is giving better answers than I am. But yeah, I, I think it's a flawed premise, you know, that you get this all the time when you're talking, not just not so much your run in the middle, uh, mm. theist, but the, it's a common talking point among apologists, mm. right? They, they kind of assume that if you don't, if your purpose isn't coming from external, then it isn't real. Like you don't really have purpose. You tell yourself you have purpose. You know, maybe you feel like you have meaning, but you, do you really have meaning? But like the answer is that's yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Even if, even if I didn't really have meaning, but I felt like I did, to me, like, there's no distinction. <laughs> yeah. Where, where does purpose and meaning come from? It comes from agents. It comes from thinking beings. And oh. I'm one of those. So like, why is a meaning that somebody else says I should have any more valid than the meaning I say I should have? Right. I, I don't see any reason why a self-prescribed purpose is any less valid than any other. You could say, uh, perhaps I don't have ultimate purpose. Like nothing I do will matter in a trillion years, far less than that. I'm sure. Like there will be a hundred years from now, it'll the the universe we live in will be indistinguishable from one in which I never existed. Right. There may yeah. There may be like one person in all of history that has impact that big. Right. Like, yeah, um, but, but right. so nobody's going to yeah. care that I existed a hundred years from now. But it doesn't matter. I won't exist a hundred years from now anyway. So, you know, as long as I'm around, my purpose is here. <laughs> awesome. Let's get to question okay. three. Question three: How do you explain the existence and complexity of the natural world without a creator? Going a little creationist on us here. ChatGPT wants us to look at the trees. <laughs> <laughs> How do you explain the existence and complexity of the natural or without a creator? So I would, there's a lot of different ways you could go at this. Um, I'm going to kind of focus in on life as opposed to the full natural world. And you don't need direction from any kind of intelligence in order to get complexity. You just, you, you can see a great example of that is the game of life. If you've ever seen that computer program that has some very simple rules mm -hmm. and from very simple rules, you can get very complex behaviors that evolve naturally, you know, just by following those rules. We've got laws of physics and things like that. And from that, you can get very complex systems that naturally arise. You don't need a God to dictate those things. doesn't mean a God didn't do it, but it isn't necessary to explain it. You could push that a step back and ask where did those physics come from? I don't know, right? Yeah. But I don't see that that's much different either way. Like, I don't see that, you know, I have no ex explanation for this. End of statement is much different from, I don't have an explanation this, therefore I do, and it's God, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this question for me has, there's two parts to it. One is, how do I explain the existence of the natural world? Uh, I don't know. So I'm okay with that answer. Um I trust that there's smarter people out there who can maybe try to explain it to me. And like, I understand like the big bang and all this stuff like that, but that's beside the point. The other part of that question is how do I explain com the complexity of the natural world? And I think that's, that's one is assuming that the natural world is, is complex, complex compared to what? Um, like, obviously when I look at a human body, like it's complex, but like, I mean, I, I'd argue it is both complex and complicated, which those two things are not the same thing. Right. You can have simple things that lead to a complex system that isn't a complicated system. And additional complex complication is a sign of bad design, right? right? Simpler systems tend to be better, right? The simpler the system, the fewer ways to fail. So I would argue a lot of the very 
complicated systems that you see in the natural world are an indicator that isn't intelligently designed. Um, you can also see this in uh, the, the fact that, or the idea that there's no guiding hand around it. Evolution runs into dead ends all the time because it doesn't yes. predict the future. Like ev evolution is like a driver that would take an off ramp that goes straight to a cliff because it's downhill. <laughs> right, because it doesn't look at the cliff. It's looking. Yeah. At, oh, it's downhill in the immediate right now. It's easier. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Right. <laughs> so. yeah. uh, evolution is Keanu Reeves on a bus going 55 miles an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a uh, not great at steering. All right. So the AI answer to this one, uh, number three, the natural world can be explained through science and natural processes. Complexity can arise through the gradual accumulation of small changes over time and the process of natural selection. We don't need a creator to explain the natural world. Okay. I mean, the first part of that answer is kind of just repeating the question, you yeah. know? It's just saying it can be explained. And then it kind of goes into the evolution thing. A um, bit of an assertion there. <laughs> yeah. Not a great answer, but I don't expect a full biology lesson from ChatGPT. So fair enough, I guess. We'll give Probably enough for your run-of-the-mill <laughs> Question four. If there is no God, where does morality come from? Don't you just want to sin? That's... <laughs> so... Ooh, this, is, ooh, this is a big question, actually, because for it's me... It's a huge question. I'm not we, even sure if I believe in morals, so... We, we did an episode on this, uh, yeah. which you should but, check out. Um, so we did an episode on morality without God. And you can find, uh, this is a big topic, but I, I think that morality exists, but I'm not sure it exists in the way that some people imagine it exists. Like, I'm not sure that there's like a thing, morality, like some quantity you could measure that would have meaning outside. If every thinking being died, I don't, I think morality dies with us. Like, I don't think morality has any meaning outside of the context of people. Right. And so for me, morality comes from, well, you can say where it came from, like, how did we get it? And mm -hmm. then you could say where it comes from, like, basically, how do I ground it? So how did we get it? Well, we are social animals and a species that is unlike that doesn't cooperate, that doesn't um, that just, you know, murders every other member of its species all the time, those sort of things isn't going to survive as well as ones that do the human. One of the human humanity's greatest advantages just in a purely like evolutionary sense is our cooperation. You know, it's like our ability to work together as a team to solve problems is a big reason that we dominate the planet. Right. Yeah. And that and so we evolved moral behaviors, moral instincts to enforce behaviors that are good for the tribe. Right. And I I think for me, too, this kind of goes back to like I was listening to Apologia talk with uh, Eric Hoven earlier today, which was a really hard conversation to listen to. But um, Eric kept going back to what morality is like written on the heart. Right. Like so that. That idea of like there just being something intuitive about morals that like if you were a baby, if you were born and then you were completely isolated from all human beings and put in a box somewhere and brought out later on as a full grown human being, you would still know the same right or wrong that you and I know. I think that doesn't exist. Morals are sort of like taught to you, like they're passed down from generation to generation. Um, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I'd, maybe they're written in our heart in crayon. 
Like it's a little fuzzy, you know? <laughs> so like what we have, this moral sense that everyone shares is kind of what you'd expect if it was just kind of handed to us sloppily from evolution to like get kind of in the right ballpark because what they'll what they will often point to is like oh well we all agree it's wrong to torture a baby for fun or something like that like okay yeah. like w- yes we all agree on big obvious things right but, but we don't all agree on that because we have sociopaths and all kinds of stuff too so that, like that, that is true but that's a good point yeah. uh, but <laughs> but even leaving them aside like is it okay to steal bread to feed your starving family i think so not everyone does Kant right. would say no. Well, this yeah. is where I think that it gets back to it's passed down. like, And that's why we have subjective morals within different cultures. Because well, like, I think like the broad strokes, the kind of the, the big ticket items, you can probably get there even if you didn't weren't taught it. You know, uh, sure. you can see this kind of altruistic behavior in animals where uh, monkeys will you know, get angry if you treat them differently than other people. They have a sense of fairness, you know, yeah. they have a sense of altruism and stuff like that. So like those broad sweeping ideas, you can probably get there, but what counts as theft, what counts as murder, you know, when you get down to the nitty gritty details, that's the kind of stuff that is taught and passed down. The hard thing with this is you can't really ethically do experiments on human beings to really find this yes. out, right? Like yes. that, that would be wrong. Uh, because <laughs> So that gets into the other side of this question. Where do I ground my morality, right? Yeah. Because even though evolution, I believe, handed me the sense of the morality, I don't take my moral cues from Darwinism, you know? And so it seems to me that moral statements only make sense in the context of some goal. You have to have... You have, you have to have some goal in mind to say whether it's right or wrong. And anything that goes towards that goal is good. And anything that goes away from that goal is bad. You know, So I would say that my goal is to increase well-being and reduce harm for humans or we'll say people, which could include non-human people, however you want to define people. And so that seems to you know, take away anything like torture or stuff like that because it would increase harm, that sort of thing. I have that goal. Uh, now, you could come at me and say, well, by what right do you have that goal? That's just the goal I have. Like, it's the goal I prefer. I would prefer to live in a world that's like that, you know? Yeah. I don't see that as invalid. I don't see why why a goal that I came up with is any more or less valid than a goal that somebody else came up with. I mean, God could say the goal is to do X. Well, then it's God's opinion. Right. Right. And I mean, yes, he is. So you could say we should listen to him because he has the biggest stick, you know, because he'll kill you if you don't. That's one reason Uh, you could say maybe we should listen to God because he's smarter than you are. Uh, He's knows better. And so maybe he would have a better idea of how to follow those goals. And that I think I think that's the best argument you can make for divine command theory. But of course, how do I know that this God is, in fact, what it says to be, you know? Mm. Well, let's let's see what ChatGPT thinks. Okay. Morality comes from a combination of our evolutionary history, our social and cultural norms, and our personal values. We don't need a god to tell us what is right or wrong. We can use our own reasoning and empathy to make ethical decisions. I agree, ChatGPT, and I'd go further. The one, I think, piece of disconfirming evidence to the whole God wrote morality on our hearts thing is every single person has a different idea of what's right and wrong. If you like, 
get away from those big ticket items and get down to like some nitty gritty details. If you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. If you look at different cultures across the world, they all have different answers to these moral questions. Mm-hmm. You would think that if it were written on our hearts, we'd all come to the same or there'd be less disagreement. You know, yeah. I would think anyway. You you would think, wouldn't you? I mean, I think, it doesn't, doesn't seem to do much good to like write the instructions on our heart in such a way that we screw it up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many things about writing on our heart, but um, I think ChatGPT did a decent job with this answer. Uh, it seems to really like this, this statement so far, we don't need a God. It's used that a couple of times. So like, but. I mean, I'm down. Question five. How do you explain the fine-tuning of the universe without a designer? So it's kind of like question three. Uh, I would argue that the the universe is not as fine-tuned as people make it out to be. There's, for instance, um, if we're talking universal fine-tuning, the universe has started in a low-entropy state. Right, the Big Bang was a low entry entropy state. We're much higher entropy now, but we could have been much much lower or much much higher entropy than we were. Right, there was a huge range that we could have been in. Um, there's also that you often hear things like, um, "Well, if this constant of the universe was this much different, things wouldn't work or whatever." And it's you know, you see all kinds of weird percentages. The chances of it getting these things is one in whatever trillion number, whatever. I always wonder, how did you do that math? Like, how we have a sample size of one. We have exactly one universe. How do we know what range of values these constants can take? I mean, they often do the math as if they could take any value, but, like, how do you know? Maybe they can only take the values they have. Maybe there's a discrete number. Maybe they all come down to a more fundamental uh value that has a very small number of possible variables. I have no idea and neither does anybody else. So. Right. And, and maybe, maybe we all could have got here even with, even if there was some differences, like we, like you said, we don't know. So um. that's, that's another good point. Often, particularly when you're talking about like the planet and they'll talk about how, like if the earth was any closer, further away, it wasn't at a 13.5 degree tilt or yeah. whatever it is. Like, then yeah. Life as we know, it couldn't exist. That's true. But all that means is like, if things were different, they'd be different. Well, sure. Like life as we know, it wouldn't exist, but life exists like in all kinds of crazy uh, yeah. niches on earth and, you know, in the permafrost to the heart of a volcano, like and everywhere in between. So I mean, it seems like life is pretty robust. So I suspect that, sure, had things turned out differently, you wouldn't have, you know, apes sitting in chairs. You might have some other kind of life, but that doesn't mean. And also that, you know, life is going to arise where the conditions are life permitting. Sure. So if Earth had not been permitting for life, then there'd be some other planet with apes doing a podcast remarking <laughs> how marvelous their planet is, right? Yeah. Well, I, so I don't like this question because it just presupposes that there that there's fine tuning to begin with, right? So I mean, like we could say there are constants and there's certain things in physics that that need to be in place for the Earth and the universe to be as it is. But that doesn't mean it was tuned, and so it's sneaking in that thing. That's what Christians yeah. will often do; they'll sneak things in to the to the question. I like Sean Carroll's answer to this question. He was in a debate with William Lane Craig. It was a great debate. Highly recommend watching it. And he said, I will concede that the the universe is finely tuned for life when someone tells me what conditions are necessary for life. Yeah. <laughs> so far as I know, no one's come up with that answer. And so I like 
it, I, I need to know the boundary conditions of life permitting universes to even start answering this question. We don't know that. Right. Yeah. And th- that's even leaving aside things like multiverses and stuff like that. Which, the, uh, so it, I talked about that a little bit in our, my interview with Jeff Swearing. If you don't mind listening to me record through a potato, <laughs> that was a good yeah. interview aside <laughs> from that. <laughs> Well, I was just getting ready to say, like, the other part of this, too, is how do we explain this? Well, if we were going to say there is some sort of fine-tuning that is required, um, the multiverse theory, like, all the different models could eventually, like, there was just the, the collapsing universe, and finally we get to one of the bouncing universe. Like, right. so it gets to the one that permits it, and that just happens to be the one that we're in. So, kind of go back to the puddle analogy, right? So, Right. Though I will say, physicists do not think, oh, man, if I didn't have a multiverse... I'd have to believe in God, therefore the multiverse. That's not how they got <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> there are, I need there are to good, solve this ad hoc, you know, like. Right. There are yeah. good physics-based reasons for thinking there may be some kind of multiverse, and different levels of multiverse have different, um, <clears throat> are more or less contentious. Again, check out my interview with Jess Waring, and we talk about that a lot. That was a good right. one. So let's see what the AI has to say about this. The apparent fine-tuning, I like that. The apparent fine-tuning. The apparent fine-tuning of the universe could be explained by the anthropic principle, which states that the universe must be compatible with the emergence of intelligent life because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be here to observe it. Additionally, there could be other universes with different physical constants, and we happen to live in the one that supports life. So... Did a pretty good job there, ChatGPT. Yeah. Crushing these questions, ChatGPT. The anthropic <laughs> principle is what we were mentioning there, where uh, basically life will only be around to remark on universes where life could exist. And so given that life is around, you know that it's in a life-permitting universe. You know, basically conditional probabilities. Basically say what we said, but in a more eloquent yeah. fashion. <laughs> sensing a trend. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving right along. Question six. If there is no God, what is the basis for human dignity and worth? Hmm. Okay. This is one I really want ChatGPT to get right because... <laughs> <laughs> yes, please get this right. Yeah. Um, but before we, before we figure out if we're all doomed, um, what is the basis for human dignity? And I think this kind of goes back to one of the earlier questions about purpose and uh, meaning, right? It's very similar, um, although... You could make an argument that there is no basis for human dignity and worth, like no objective basis, right? If by objective you mean independent of any human perception, then I would say no, there is no basis. We are fundamentally just bags of chemicals, and so far as the universe is concerned, we are no different than any other collection of matter. Correct. However, and I, I meant like from like a universal standpoint, let's say if there's a far superior race of, of beings in the universe and we are ants to them, there is no basis for, for us to have dignity or worth in their light, right? Well, that depends. Like if the, you could, like I avoid stepping on bugs if I can help it, sure. right? Because I don't want to extinguish life for no reason. That at the same time, I don't exactly like lose sleep if I happen to kick over an anthill, you know? So, um, but I just, again, kind of like we talked about with finding purpose, I think that the basis that we have for human dignity and worth is that we're humans and we value humans. And that's what it is. And like, we all like collectively, the Royal, we prefer to live in a society where humans are valued because if we didn't, it would be bad for us and people we care about. And so like, yeah, that's why. 
even if you were the world's biggest narcissist and you only cared about your own dignity and your own worth, you could still rationalize that it's important. I only care about me, but I recognize that if I care about me, I have to treat other people like they have dignity and worth so that way they return a reciprocal. Right. There's a action. lot more not me than there are me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's in my interest to live in a world where everyone is safe because then I am, as a subset of everyone, am also safe, right? Yeah. So, all yeah. right. Let's see what we have here. Chat GPT says, human dignity and worth are based on our shared humanity and our capacity for capacity for empathy, compassion, and reason. We don't need a God to give us value or worth. We have inherent worth simply because we are human. I think I'm going to have to disagree with Chat GPT a little bit. Yes, I, I agree. I, I agree with the part where it comes from our shared humanity and our empathy and compassion. That's basically what we were talking about. But then it says that we have inherent worth. Now, I'm happy that the computer thinks that. I would like it to continue <laughs> thinking that. Please continue believing that humans have inherent worth. However, that seems to kind of contradict the first part of it, right? If mm -hmm. do we have is it inherent or does it stem from our compassion and empathy and things like that? There I don't think those two are the yeah. same thing. It almost contradicts it too, because it's saying it's based right. on our shared humanity, but then it's saying it's just inherent, which wouldn't mean that it's based on that. Unless you're saying right. it's inherent because it's based on that, but that's circular. Yeah. yeah. So I think that all human beings have value and worth because I place value on human life, but I don't get that from some weird universal principle. Right. It's not like just because at conception you're a human and now you have inherent worth just because of that. Right. Um, not from right. a universal sense. So, so there's there's the first one where we're kind of like, mm, you kind of missed the mark there, Chad GPT. So, but so maybe, maybe there's hope for us anyways. Here. So. Question seven. If God doesn't exist, why do so many people feel a sense of spiritual connection or yearning? So this is a good question. Uh, I think it's, I don't think it holds much logical weight. I think it's easily explained, but it does kind of intuitively feel right. Like mm -hmm. if, if God doesn't exist, why does everyone think so? That's kind of an argument at populum, you know, but there is something to be said for the near universal experience of connection with the divine and that sort of thing. But as to why, as some Christians or some theists have put it, why do we have a God-shaped hole? I think that humans evolve to detect agency in places where there aren't agents because thinking there's an agent where there's no agent is a low-cost mistake right. because if you make the inverse mistake, it can be very, very high cost. And so we are the descendants of creatures that were more likely to infer an agent where there wasn't one. And combine that with our incessant desire to anthropomorphize everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pet rocks were a thing. Humans, our, our own body parts. <laughs> humans will anthropomorphize anything. Our empathy knows no bounds, right? Yeah. And so people, uh, they've got this... Uh, this feeling of gratitude for living and they want to direct it somewhere. And one way to direct it is to anthropomorphize the universe, to give uh, the cosmos some kind of personality and direct mm -hmm. it towards that. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm right there with you. Um, it's called apophenia, um, where like we seek patterns. So like humans have a propensity to see patterns and things. So like, um, but I often wondered this, if there was like a, a God gene um, and like some humans just don't get that. And they're like completely, they don't ever have any sort of spiritual feelings whatsoever. Like, um, I don't, I don't know, but like, yeah, I think for the, for the most part, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I know when I was religious, I had spiritual feelings. I felt the presence of God. I, I felt like I had a connection to the divine and all those sorts of things. I don't believe I was correct. I think I was just projecting the feelings I had in my own brain, you know? But. So I guess if that's the case, then maybe, maybe just being spiritual is just another way to define, you know, um, euphoria or some sort of, you know, funny feeling. That's what I right. used to call it. Come on, funny yeah. feeling. <laughs> yeah. Great way to make life decisions for sure. Well, All right. Chat GBT, let's see how spiritual they are. <clears throat> Many people feel a sense of spiritual connection or yearning because of the natural human desire for meaning, purpose, and belonging. We can find these things through community, relationships, and our own personal values without the need for a God. Uh, I like the part there where it talks about how we can find these things. I think one failing of the atheist community such as it is, is there is a tendency to disregard everything that is associated with religion, uh, Often the people who are atheists now were religious because most people are religious. And so uh, there, that can come with some trauma and it tends to also come with a dismissive attitude towards their basically previous life. And I think there's a tendency to throw out the good with the bad. In this sure. case, things like ritual and community, which, I mean, the, there's a reason why it evolved in basic in virtually every culture throughout history. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not super happy with this answer though, um, because it's sort of like defining the answer with the answer, the question with the question kind of thing. Like that's true. Yeah. Like, why like do saying, humans have a desire? Why, because why we have, have a desire. desire. Yeah. Right. Well, I want to know where that desire comes from though. Like that's the purpose behind this question. So it kind of dodged it a little bit for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, fair. Question eight. Can you prove that God doesn't exist? No. No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, further, I don't think I have to. Like, I think that, so I am an atheist by which I mean, I believe no gods exist. I think there are no gods. I cannot prove that gods don't exist. That is not because one can't prove a negative because one can prove a negative, but I don't think it's possible to in this case, to definitively prove that no gods exist. If a super powerful, omniscient, omnipotent being wished to remain hidden from me, I'm sure it could figure out a way to do that, right? Yeah. However, just because I can't say with certainty that something doesn't exist doesn't mean I'm, I can't be justified in believing it doesn't exist. Uh, Russell did a great job of illustrating this, I think, with his teapot. There could be a teapot orbiting Venus in just such a way that the planet's always between us and, you know, the teapot. Yeah. And so like, we can't see it, but like, I don't believe that there is such a, I believe there is no teapot because there are good reasons to doubt it. I I'm hundred percent with you on that one. Uh, I don't, don't think I need to say much more than that. Uh, just, can I prove it? If you just want the answer? No, I yeah. can't prove it. <laughs> so chat GPT again, answering as an atheist, as an atheist, 
I don't claim to have absolute proof that God doesn't exist. However, I believe that the burden of proof lies with those making the claim that God does exist. Without evidence, I see no reason to believe in a deity. Hmm. Taking the Lactheus point of view here, aren't we? Yeah, oh, okay. a little Matt Delonte out. Okay. Uh, I am willing to go with them to the point where it's like the person making the claim has the burden of proof, right? But I think that if we're going to be rational beings then we should be able to provide a justification for all of our beliefs, sure. whether that is a belief in favor or against. And so if I believe that God exists, I should be able to say why. If I believe God doesn't exist, I should be able to say why. If I am unsure, I should be able to say why. Yeah, yeah I... It's an interesting... I, so I'm not actually surprised with this answer because if it's pulling from the internet, this is the common thing you're going to hear from atheists on the internet, right? So... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good. Then, but this is just an example of I don't want to say garbage necessarily, but maybe not the greatest answers in, not the greatest answers out. Right. Uh, I, I think that many internet atheists are have, have this weird, like almost pathological fear of the burden of proof. Like, like <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I have to provide justification of what I think. No, my only weakness, you know. Like, it's okay. Just, just, and, but then they will happily rattle off a thousand reasons why they don't think it's reasonable that God exists. Just start there. Yeah. That's all you had to do. They'll also wear shirts that say citation, citation needed. So, I mean, like, throw some citations out. <laughs> yeah. Question nine How do you explain the many accounts of religious experiences and miracles? Okay, um, very similar to question seven, um, but... Uh, well, it's pretty simple. Humans are mistaken a lot of the time. Humans also lie or embellish stories or make things up. And that's all you require for any miracle claim I've ever heard of. I, th I think that mistaken causation is, is enough 99 times out of 100. In, in most people who believe in miracles, it, it's almost never that they experienced the miracle, right? They yeah. heard about it. Their sister's cousin or some guy in India or some story they heard on Facebook or whatever, they got a miracle, you know? And it's very rarely that it happened directly to them. And when it did happen directly to them, it is never, I'm hesitant to say absolutes, but I think here it's justified. It is never something that is unequivocal, right? The kind of, it's almost like the closer the person who's telling the story is to the miracle, the less impressive the miracle is. Sure. You know, you hear we stuff did. like, like limbs being restored and like people being restored from paralysis over there, way in the, you know, exotic lands. And the closer it gets to here, it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't the limb, maybe it was a fingertip. Now it's a fingernail. Now it's like, you know, a tooth yeah. or, you know, uh, Tim mentions, uh, car you know cataracts from uh sam's mom. right yeah. we did an episode on this so audio only one early on in our show um uh, we may need to revisit the miracle topic but so there's two parts of this question one is miracles i don't think there are any accounts of accurate miracles um so there's that and then how do i account for religious experience the same way i account for personal experiences at a concert same way i account for climbing a mountain and being all struck at the top. Right. Like, so, but I, I would say that the variety of religious experiences cuts against a single God existing because 
you've got people who have very similar accounts and one person will have this experience and it leads them to Jesus. Another person will have the experience and it leads them to Allah. Another person will have the experience and it leads them to Vishnu or whomever. Like all of these people are having these experiences and coming to radically different conclusions, often related to the culture in which they were brought up, but not always, but often. Uh, so clearly this is not a good method to obtain truth, right? If mm-hmm. everyone's using this method and coming to diametrically opposed positions, maybe it's not the best way, you know? And well, similarly with uh, divine miracles. Many it's pass kind of, up the mountain, Jordan. Many pass up the mountain. Maybe, and that is one explanation for it. Uh, I don't find that compelling. I'm with Hume, though, when it comes to miracles. That especially, usually the way we're getting miracles is through some kind of um, account. Somebody is telling us the account. And <clears throat> that kind of evidence is poor in general. And the only way we could reasonably believe that a miracle was true based on an eyewitness account is if the eyewitness being mistaken or lying or whatever, it would be more miraculous than the miracle itself. Yeah. Right. And that's not the case. People are wrong. People lie. People, people make mistakes. People are mistaken. Our senses are flawed. Right. Like, like yeah. these are things that we know happen. And so in any individual case, it's almost certainly going to be the case that it is more likely one of these things we know for a fact happens than the laws of physics were suspended. Sure. So let's see what Chad GPT says. Religious experiences and miracles can be explained through natural, physiological, and psychological processes, as well as through cultural and social factors. Just because people have had experiences that they interpret as being religious or miraculous doesn't necessarily mean that they were caused by a divine being. Okay. Good job, chat GPT. You said no what notes. we said. Yeah. <laughs> so, Good job. All right. Last, Last question, question, Jordan. Question 10. Without God, how do you find comfort and hope in times of suffering or hardship? Coming with those hard-hitting questions for number 10, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think this hits at something that people drive a lot of value from in their religious experience, the comfort of feeling like there is a divine being in charge that's looking over them, that's taking care of things, that has a plan, right? I I think I get my comfort from the people around me, from my community, from my family, those sorts of things, which I suspect is where a lot of uh, comfort is being derived from for religious people too. You know, where do they get comfort from? Often it's from church and you know their oh. pastors, things like that. Um, so where do I get it from? I get it from my social network. I, I get it from the same place. And I think in terms of where I think religious people get it from the same place too, like you just mentioned, like there are religion does this better though. They have, practices and rituals in place specifically for times of suffering and hardship. And they're really good at helping people through those times. Um, But that doesn't mean it's God that's doing it. It's the religion that's doing it. Right. That's a great point that ritual has value all by itself, Mm -hmm. that burial practices and things like that, having a, this is the thing we do when X happens. When a tragedy happens, we do this. It's almost like we have a plan. We have a thing that is done in this situation. Even if that thing has no practical benefit, like from like an objective standpoint, the fact that we have a thing that we all do is comforting, you know? And so that is something very valuable, like you said, that religious... 
institutions have. They also have a ready-made community. If you're new to a town or something and religious, you just look up the local temple and there you go. Boom. Instant community with something in common. It's more difficult to find something as similar as that as an atheist, which I think is a failing of the community. All right. Let's see if ChatGPT can give us an answer, Jordan, here. As an atheist, I find comfort and hope in the love and support of my family and friends, in my own resilience and strength, and in the knowledge that I can make a positive impact on the world. Additionally, many atheists find solace in nature, art, music, and other aspects of the human experience that don't require a belief in God. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's it's wordy and it's nice and flowery and stuff, but I kind of like our answers better, uh, to be honest with you. So. Yeah. So, uh, how worried are you that AI is going to be coming for our zero dollars a year job as podcasters? <laughs> um, slightly worried, actually. Uh, although, it does a good. It did a really good job, I think, of yeah. uh, concisely answering the questions that were posed to it. Though, I think we also exposed some weaknesses. And it's processed because it's just hoovering up the mass of answers it's getting from the internet. And so if large swaths of the population are wrong, it's, then yeah, <laughs> it's taking an aggregate of what's out there and saying, oh, this seems to be the most common thing. Let me go with that. And where it's not doing some critical examination to, and it's not a, comparing that against something, right? It's not contrasting it at all. So, um, I mean, could we just use ChatGPT as a farm to pump out content? Yes. Would it suck? Probably. Like, Would it get clicks? Yes. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do moving forward is one out of every five episodes is going to be purely AI generated, and you're going to have to decide which one. <laughs> we're not actually going to do that. Uh, but if but, we did, you might not know. So. If we did, you might not know, right. If we started <laughs> sounding an awful lot like uh, the American <laughs> Atheist Association or whatever, then, yeah. then you might know that we're doing it. Okay, so uh, that was our AI-driven episode. Let us know in the comments what you thought. If you have a question that you'd like to ask the AI or if you think that the AI uh, did better, please let us know. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, we're always happy to hear. Uh, moving forward, we're going to be doing some more uh, another review of David Fitzgerald's book. We're going to be looking at the next chapter. I think maybe two chapters is the next topic there. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else that we've scheduled? No, we're kind of open. So give us suggestions. Uh, we need some ideas. Um, we we're kinda, we, a, we are kind of uh, due for another Shroud of Turin video. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to, I'm kind of limiting that to once a quarter. So I'm planning on kind of taking up all of the questions that have come out about the Shroud of Turin and like basically just doing batch answers of those maybe once a quarter. Yeah. And I think in the near future, we're going to be doing a questions asked by the audience episode. There's a lot of suggestions we've gotten for episode ideas that wouldn't really take up like a full episode. Uh, sure. That might only take like five to 10 minutes. So I think in the next month or two, we'll just do like a grab bag of all the different things that people have requested. I had also thought about possibly doing like a, like a live stream, ask us anything kind of episode where we just interact. So if people are interested in that, let us know. Um, we would probably be able to do something like that. So yeah. All right, cool. So do that. Subscribe, hit the bell, all that good stuff. And until next time, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.